What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we talk about bachelor parties, flipping and frogging, and the true Wild West beginnings of professional Western bass fishing. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All righty, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're coming at you really early in the morning. We're actually maybe 12 hours late, so hopefully you're getting this before your Monday morning commute. But uh, self-admittedly, yesterday I was unprepared. I was coming off of a bachelor party, as was Nick, but um, I will take the blame. I was not prepared to do a podcast on (laughs) Sunday as normal so um anyways hope you all had a, a great week leading up to this and uh we've got some stuff to talk about today as always let's run around the table and um nick since you also had a bachelor party that i, I wish i could have been at as well what uh what's going on your way man are you recovered i i am recovered i don't smell the stench of alcohol you know emanating from the pores of my skin anymore and uh, that only took about 24 hours to go away. So clearly I didn't go hard enough. But, uh, you know, at, at 34 years of age or whatever I am, uh, it's been a minute since I stayed up until 5 a.m. the next morning <laughs> without having someone needing a diaper changed or a bottle made or a bedtime story reread to them. It, uh, it kind of felt like a crowning achievement, if I was perfectly honest, that I still have it in me, you know, uh, um, I, not only did I stay up till 5 a.m. with a few of the guys that were there, we still made it out on the water before like 10 a.m. that morning. Uh, and just, you know, I was just on them from jump. When you're up like that and you're so mentally clear, um, no, it, it, I wasn't on anything, but had a great time. And, you know, it's funny. So it's our good friend Mitch uh, was his bachelor's party. And so all the guys there are pretty serious fishermen a couple of guys aren't super serious but still we all love to fish so we were rallying resources to um fish together and so our good friend mark came down from alaska and because he had cleared his calendar you know he was going to run the whole weekend uh, party where i only had uh, friday night that i could swing over there and then fish saturday so i let mark pick up my boat you know, and they fished out of it Friday with everybody, you know, there's two or three boats on Friday. And, you know, in my true fashion, if you ever borrow something from me, fully prepare for it to break down or, you know, otherwise just completely not work. And I had forgot slash neglected to tell him that I never run water in the live wells. Um, because when I bought it, the guy had mentioned that they leak. Um, and you know, I'm just a, I'm just a, regular non-tournament fishing joe all the time and if i do fish a tournament it's with somebody else in their boat so of course in true competitive friend style they were going to have like you know three biggest fish little tournament and the wind blew pretty good on friday at roosevelt 
And, you know, we had one of those classic spring fronts blow through. And so some snow dusted on four peaks and it was pretty chilly and pretty windy. And so all throughout the day, the thought went through my head. It's like, well, I'm kind of glad I'm fishing tomorrow just because I'm a wimp. I'd rather fish in the 70 degree sun than the 55 degree wind and rain and whatever else was going on. The guys looked bundled up. It looked cold up there. Dude, so Mark, I text him about four o'clock, you know, hey, how'd it go? And they're like, well, it's pretty good, but your outboard almost fell off. All the bolts are really loose on that. I can't believe you didn't notice. And I was like, oh, they're just busting my chops like always. And so then I said, yeah, whatever. And then two seconds later, Mark called me and he's like, dude, yeah, like it was the weirdest thing. After like the first run in the morning, I couldn't get your boat up on plane and I just had to like push water all the way through. You know, it just wouldn't come up on plane. It was just like, you know, I had the, as a hydraulic jack plate, I had the jack plate all the way up. Whatever I tried, dude, I just couldn't get it up, <laughs> which is a, a classic line right there. I couldn't get it up. But uh, suffice to find out that um, copious, copious amounts of Roosevelt Lake were going into the bow of the boat, which triggered the second issue. Um, apparently, the bilge pump float. Maybe it was stuck, but so the bilge pump didn't work either. Wasn't pumping any of Roosevelt Lake out of the boat back into Roosevelt Lake, and uh, they didn't sink it, but managed to remove. I think the lake level went down about eight inches on Friday, Man. and then Saturday, dude. Whatever reason, the float came unstuck. <laughs> I mean, they pulled the plug, and plenty of water came out of the boat for quite a while, and then. Saturday, dude, like we went around a corner outside of the, you know, the little marketplace there in Tonto Basin and for the next like three miles, <laughs> we got rid of so much water and then the boat ran 65 like a champ on Saturday. Where was that water hiding, dude, after you pulled the plug the first time? Like where's the other hundred gallons of water hiding at? You know, through reverse osmosis, it must be, you know, like suspended in thin, I, somewhere up in there is the, you know, scientific answer to your question, but I was worried. It's always bad when someone jokes about something like that, and then they tell you, and then and then I got a little nervous. I was like, "Oh, good, good to know that." Uh, now I've found that there's a huge crack all along the plastic lining in the top of the live well, and if you push your finger on it, you know, about a three quarter of an inch gap, five inches long, opens up, and water apparently finds that. So, anyone who wow. wants to borrow my boat, know that uh, you need to wear a life jacket, and it's fully insured. <laughs> <laughs> more stories from this boat unbelievable so, so how was the fishing that's what it. i want to know fishing's fantastic dude gosh yeah. roosevelt just looks so good it has some ugly nasty slime green slime growing on like the cages and the bushes which doesn't look super fishy but then you just catch them <laughs> there's fish in them you're like oh okay cool yeah i've been um, seeing a lot of a lot of social media photos of good fish up there that's for sure dude, i wish you know yeah. I, I stepped on my own toes by being extraordinarily hungover. Um, but just to go there and fish hard, like you would have so much fun, man. And like, you can catch them on a Cinco drop shotting. And then, you know, the wind picked up a little bit and caught them on a swim bait around those cages. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I didn't even see what the river looked like, but everyone had fished up the salt end on Friday. And, you know, I think on the, on Friday, the biggest three were like 13 pounds. And no then, kidding, huh? That's yeah, pretty solid. And then on Saturday too, it was like 12 and a half or 13 again. So that's pretty good, dude, for a bunch of uh, hungover uh, 
dudes that think hadn't everyone, practiced, you know? I don't think everyone was quite as when, – when Nicky gets a hall pass, what's left of the hair on his head comes down, and <laughs> you need to look out because it's, uh, it, it's fixing to get hairy. There and, you go. Uh, and it did. You know, it was funny, too. We were fishing, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, like, it's funny how, like, body language and stuff, this boat, a bass boat – on the other side of the cove just like hangs a left and just starts motoring towards us. Like he'd been fishing. So at first you think, Oh, he's whatever. And then there comes that awkwardness where it's like, Oh no, this guy is like coming to us. So we're like, Hey man, what's up? He's like, Hey, you got a scale. I got a big one. We're like, Oh, tight. All right. Like, you know, I was trying to tie a new leader on my spinning rod and normally that's not a fast process, but then when your hands are shaking and every time you sit down, you get nauseous, it takes even longer to oh, tie a leader on. Oh. So I was like, I will gladly stop tying this leader on to find my scale and give it to you. And so the dude, uh, you know, hooks it up and it was a good one. It was like pushing seven pounds, but Dang. it's so fun to see, like, I think you can relate to this whenever you have a good one, and you think maybe you should weigh it, just don't weigh it because you're going to be so disappointed. The disappointment guy, in dude, his was, eyes, huh? Dude, he was so disappointed it That's was seven. hilarious. How big did he, <laughs> did he think it was a 10 or something? He thought it was, yeah, he did. Yeah. So the dejection. And it was a badass fish because it was like, you know, you could tell that one had been in there long enough that it remembered the old era of Roosevelt. You know, it was old and beat up and looked like it was pretty spawned out. It so. was going backwards in size. It'll be yeah, six well, and a half next year. <laughs> dude, absolutely. That's the guide <laughs> trick. You don't bring a scale Ever. and then the, the fish can be whatever the client wants it to yeah, be. Whatever right? they guess and add like uh -huh. a pound and a half to it and be like, dude, you're, I yeah. think you're, you know, sandbagging that. <laughs> so funny. Oh, yeah. And I How also, many, dude? How many personal bass floating around this fishing world that we live in are completely untrue? And, and, it's just a story. It's just a story. <laughs> yeah. I saw a post the other day. They said they caught multiple two, what was it? Two and a half to three and a half pounders. And like I saw they had like 10 <laughs> photos and there wasn't a two and a half in the bunch. Dude, it's think like, about this one. Like look at our tournament at Rayburn. We'll get into it. But we, we had just a heyday with this afterwards because – because the weights were lower than everyone expected because we you've got to catch a two pounder for it to go and a two pounder if it's not a fat fish if it's a lean fish that's a 16 sometimes 17 inch fish if it's solid a lean fish, fish. Yep. Yep. and uh dude how many dudes will go out there and say and i've, I've been guilty of it before starting to fish this type of format <laughs> when you need it to put a two pounder on a scale but how easy is, is it to say that you caught 20 or 32 pound fish, dude? <laughs> yeah. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> Put them on a scale, dude. You caught four, two pounders, like, and you caught uh 21, <laughs> one eight to one fourteens. I mean, it's, you put those fish on a scale and uh, it, it just makes an honest man out of, out of anyone. It's unbelievable. Yeah. More pound and a halfers have been called two pounders than you could ever imagine. <laughs> it's, it's mind blowing, dude. You just catch it. You know, you catch a solid little fish and say, that's a two pounder and chuck it back in, but put yeah. that sucker on a scale, dude. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's so dejecting when you need it, but, you know, it is what it is, but that, that was just a perfect example. You're one of the best bass fisheries in the country and you get these absolute, hammer Hammers. fishermen that i'm fishing against and the two pounders aren't flowing it just yeah. uh just goes to show <laughs> well what josh you can definitely relate and i can relate to it too with the slot limit at roosevelt years ago yes like it was a 16 inch slot like you could go out and absolutely smash all these 
15 and a half inch fish and have a great day and you don't have a keeper in the boat, you know, and it's just, <laughs> it was brutal. But yeah. what was funny about those days, man, and I guarantee you were the same way. Uh, you could look at a fish and, and, and tell oh, your you buddy knew. if it was 16 and a quarter or 15 you knew. and three quarters. It was yep. unbelievable yep. how your eye just like sharpens could see that dude. But you would wish that 15 and three quarter to be 16 all the you'd, time. You'd like, measure you just, them, but oh, yeah. oh, they yeah. just had a little different look to them, didn't they? they yep. It was that yep. it was the safe and, and the 16 inches, uh, the 15 inches were safe from the uh, crappie fishermen and the 16 inches weren't. That's yep. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Dude, I also, uh, let's just talk about me because my Please. ego needs it. I, uh, I had this long, drawn-out battlefield escrow on another fine Nitro Properties product that closed um, last week. And over like the court, I mean, it was like cartoonishly long escrow, like four months. The seller is having all sorts of issues getting clear title, and I had no urgency. In this market now, it's like if you have a contract, a month later, whatever your contract value is, it's probably gone up like 10 grand. So you just sit on it. And so I finally close this one. And this is, this is one that I want to like, you know, I have a really great tenant. I'm going to move into it. I'm not flipping it. I just, this is going to be like a legacy double wide that I'm going to put like a sweet shop on. And like, this is going to be the the jewel in the crown. And so I sadly throughout the process, this family or a dad and his son had been living in it and it was terrible terrible arrangement and the kid needed cps called on it it was just a bad deal but they had moved we out. talked about this guy dude on a Did, podcast right? earlier this year yeah so then it sat vacant for like three months completely undo like the doors aren't locked the wind blows the door open it's in a nicer neighborhood so no one was squatting in it but <laughs> i i all right i own the house like i'm going in like i'm nicky's rolling up his sleeves and ready to do whatever little things he's capable of doing which isn't much but i thought all right i'll at least like put new deadbolts and handle sets on it so i can kind of lock it so that no one is encouraged but so i get there and the doors like cracked open which i didn't think anything of anyways because it's like it's been windy and it's in a decent neighborhood and you know i don't pack heat i've just got these two guns attached to my shoulders that if i get in trouble <laughs> i just you know i, I do it trouble. the old-fashioned way i'm ready uh, and I'm like 150 pounds, so I'm pretty intimidating as it is. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm walking up this stoop of like two by fours that are cobbled together to make a staircase up to the door. Suffice to say, I'm like, I'm sure that is the wind that blew this door open, but, you know, I'm ready. So I walk through the door and, and all of a sudden, like, I just hear like commotion, like, like I couldn't tell if it was like somebody overdosing on meth, waking up oh. and trying to like stumble out the back door. Dude, around the corner, like 75 feral cats come barreling down the hall. I almost had a heart attack, bro. Like my heart like skipped six beats and like I choked on like nervous anticipation. And I was so glad that I didn't get murdered, but it was very nasty. They had like those little rolls of like sticky tape to catch flies, which <laughs> I don't know why you would use that inside your house, but there's like five of those like throughout the kitchen and the living room. And it was literally like a fly on every centimeter of the, you know, three foot long tape. If you want to see this, follow Nick on Facebook because he's got so this gross. posted. It's so gross. Incredible. Dude, I'm like pulling carpet up so I can get the door to open better. And like, there's like 
fingernails, like those disgusting ones that you buy at Walgreens, like that beautiful ladies like to wear when you're, <laughs> you know, summoning their services late at night behind <laughs> truck stops. Those ones, there's like hundreds of those. There's like a random fork. Like how any of that, like how you live life and be like, I'm just going to pop this fingernail off and not take it to the trash. I'm just going to flick it into the carpet in the living room. It's like the, the stuff you see, man, the stuff you see. Ooh. With the random fork in the corner. What was, what did they eat with that is what I was wondering. Like, and again, you know, the sink's too far. Like the floor will be fine. I'll need it later anyways. That's whatever tool they used to get the fingernails off, man. Oh, That's gnarly. Yeah. Dude, you're a forensic investigator. That's impressive work. <laughs> so suffice to say, it was a fun week, man. I got to see Rob's house. Rob's house is looking good. I finally, like a true friend, went and saw that six months into his remodel. Looking nice. Good, How man. close are you, Rob? Are you getting pretty close, man? Yeah, we're getting there. It's um, the kitchen's gonna. We're getting cabinets on Tuesday tomorrow. Oh, so you got Tyson lined up. Way to go, Rob. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it's. Uh, We'll have a kitchen here hopefully pretty soon, next couple of weeks. They have a foldable table with a microwave on it in the Dude. hallway currently, Josh, is their kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty <laughs> rough. You need a lot right of now. hot pockets, Rob. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm like, I call the, the brats that my wife brought home that you just heat up in the microwave. They're, I call them synthetic brats because that's exactly what they are. They're disgusting. It's just, yeah, I'm, yeah, struggling. But Tells you we'll, what an amazing wife and woman you have in your life that's just like, apparently still happy in spite oh, yeah. of those living yeah, we're conditions. Pretty, we're pretty it. easily entertained and yeah, we're not. A lot of takeout I mean, probably recently then. Right? Yeah, we've been doing takeout. We went and had Thai food last night. That was pretty good. But it's just, you just get so tired or you just want to cook. You just want to. Yeah. You just want to have salad and a chicken breast, something so you feel better and stay. Yes, hundred percent. No sodium. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Rob has a, you know, Hudson dude is chocolate lab. Yeah. Dude, that dog is <laughs> like, programmed to know when it's feed time and i hung out with him for a couple hours on like tuesday or wednesday and all of a sudden like the switch and that dog went off and he was like i'm hungry and it's time for you to feed me he's like how much does that dog weigh rob like a buck 30 he's massive. no he's probably 80 pounds he's big but i guess when you have a nine pound chihuahua anything over yeah. 20 pounds looks it's like, like fish, it, yeah it's like the bass thing yes. yeah but he is seven years old and he will bounce <laughs> Like hit the bottom of his feet are almost above my waist when he bounces. Dude, flat That's how footed. That dog bounces up like in the a, air. a rabbit. Yep. Yeah. He's That's pretty so funny. Pretty athletic dog and pretty freaking crazy when he's hungry. But and then you have a four hundred year old geriatric Brittany who like yeah, snores on there. her bed <clears throat> and then hears Hudson bouncing and then all of a sudden it's alive and begging too. And like his dogs yeah, are conditioned for the feed. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. That's about all that's going on in my world. That's for sure. No, no, no bachelor parties this way. None of that stuff. Dude, I'll tell you, I was bummed to uh, miss Mitch's. I came back from my tournament. If I would have made the the, uh, cut, I wouldn't have been able to go to any bachelor parties. Right. So I missed the cut. And then my brother and one of my best buds has a dang, they've got bachelor parties on the same day, literally. So I'd hope to maybe play golf at my brother's. And then if that ended early, I'd go up to Roosevelt and spend the night with the other guys. And uh, the, of course, the first one just ended up, I just ended up being there all day and later into the night. But uh, the highlight, we, we played a, uh, a, a pretty sweet golf course, Wickenburg Ranch. It's like a, uh, they've got a, a sweet little nine hole course and then a, a, a killer 18. Um, 
way out of the range of course price range of courses I would typically play, but obviously it was a special occasion. So we all had, uh, had ponied up to play this thing. It's a, and it's going private here in, in like a year. So it's probably the last chance we'll ever get to play there. But um, the funniest thing in uh, of the entire day, I was playing, uh, it, I was in, in, uh, we had foursomes, right. And I was playing with my dad, riding with my dad. And uh, we had Tom's wife to be her dad. And then his best friend in the, in the group with us. So my dad's keeping score. We're playing um, golf poker, which I won't bother to explain. I just barely understood by the end of the round how to play it. But um, my dad's the one keeping score. So Mark is in our group. He goes, what did my dad goes, what did you get Mark on this hole? And Mark goes, Ocho. And my dad's like, okay. And then we get in the golf cart. And my dad whispers to me, he's like, what the hell is an Ocho? (laughs) (laughs) Been living in Arizona for 25 years. I love your dad uh, so much. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't know an Ocho. I love it. I say it because it was was funny, and and he'll uh, he'll get a a kick out of it. He just Uh, named this episode for us. What's an Ocho? Yeah, for sure. I think Ocho needs to be his nickname from – here on out but it was just one of the most classic things what the hell is an ocho dude he's clearly never seen dodgeball man that's like one of my favorite movies and that's getting broadcasted on espn 8 the ocho Uh, i mean you would think one through ten would be pretty uh easy to memorize but it's all good it was that was funny and we had a fun a fun day also you know it was a it was good. It was good to see, uh, you know, some of some of Tom's buddies who I've known for a long time, also. And obviously, it was it was a fun time for Tom. So, um, are you a good golfer, Josh? Dude, I used to play in high school, uh, and I was never like good. Good. I was. I definitely don't embarrass myself. My handicap, I I, I could shoot under eighty pretty consistently when I was in high school, and and my short game is just atrocious now. It. You should have seen the first. We warmed up on the par three course just the nine and and i shot i don't know dude i averaged five you know on every it was terrible and then i ended up the, a little rust came off i think i shot 85 and it was a tough course so i shot 85 on the actual 18 which wasn't wasn't horrible but uh i definitely don't play enough to uh have any sort of consistent game for sure but it's fun i mean it, i would still rather go fishing but it was a nice change it was a nice change to uh to do that Let's talk about Rayburn. So, yeah, that one was – it's – I've got – I'm going to have a similar tone to talking about Eufaula because I'm pretty dang disappointed in how it went, man. It was one of those tournaments. We talked going in after practice. I wasn't wasn't sure what to expect. I knew it was going to be a little tougher. We had that massive cold front rolling in. Uh, or had that had locked in and had had dropped that water temp like 15 degrees. So you had fish that were – up to spawn like the first big wave of fish they move up to spawn and then that front hits uh i started and here's where my frustrations are in the tournament um i started on the same grass line as mark daniels jr and brent ayler who were in first and second at the end of the first period and i'm just sitting there with my thumb up my butt watching them catch fish dude i don't (laughs) understand you know that's how it is when you're fishing in a group sometimes there's always a guy that just doesn't catch them and 
it had been a while since I was that guy and it was time for me to be that guy, man. And I just watched <laughs> them catch fish and dude, I caught, it was classic. I caught like, you know, a handful of non scoreables. And then we're at the end of the first pier and I finally get a good bite throwing a lipless over this hydrilla and it's a catfish. Oh. And it was like, <laughs> All right, let's go. I, I just couldn't handle Like I was on and it was definitely <laughs> dying off. Like it was an early morning flurry, but, uh, these were pre-spawn fish that were living in some really healthy hydrilla offshore um, feeding on bait. And, and you could tell that the, it was starting to taper off. The bite was already. These dudes had done most of their damage for, their, for the day, for their weight already. And um, I just had a terrible vibe. And sometimes when you're in a you're not getting a good vibe, you're better off just, even if you got to leave fish, man, I, I, I felt like I just got to get out of here and do something on my own where I can be alone and, uh, and just reset. So I did that. I ran up Lake and started flipping and, um, same thing kind of was around fish, man. I get a lot of bites, caught a couple scoreables, but the real, the real killer was the best two bites of the day I lost. Um, just, they just come off. And, and a lot of those fish that I was flipping were spawning at the base of bushes and, um, that's just, it happens when you're flipping for spawning fish. It wasn't sight fishing, but these are fish that are on a bed. Your bait falls through the bush and lands on the bed and they just bite it out of reaction. Mm -hmm. And um, they don't always swallow that bait and get it good. So I end up losing a couple of my best bites and, and end the day in like 34th out of 40. I got some, so it sounded bad, but I was only six pounds out of the cut. Um, so take the day off, go out there on the second day of competition. And uh, I really wanted a, I, I needed a big fish to kind of kickstart and, and get the, you know, if I, if I could have started early in the morning and caught a big fish on the first spot, I would have been back to, to, you know, even. So start on a big, a couple big fish spots and I don't get a big one. I caught one just, just under three pounds and um, kind of another similar deal, man. Like I just had, I was, I got bit all day, felt like I was around the right stuff. I know I was around the right stuff. Um, but end up losing a lot of the better bites that I get. I had some crazy, uh, stuff happen with, with the gear that was just, you know, without going into it, it was, it was just stupid on my part. And, um, long story short, I end up missing the cut by like five pounds again. So, um, go ahead, Rob. Um, I'm sure the listeners would be really interested in knowing what you mean by uh, second day. You kind of went for it and started on a big fish area. Explain, explain in that situation. I know in every situation it's different, but what you were looking at is a big fish area and kind of a, I guess a little bit of a gamble trying to get that big bite. What, what was the, the thought totally. process and the type of stuff you're fishing? Yeah. So what a lot of guys, what I was doing, up lake and what a lot of guys were is they were you know uh, fishing shallow spawning areas the water was dirty but doing a lot of flipping throwing a swim jig a little bit throwing a frog and i was primarily flipping man i had trouble putting the flipping stick down because i was getting bit with it consistently um every scoreable fish i ended up weighing came on a flipping stick and um you know i'd get a bite every 10 15 minutes if i kept it in my hand but but trying to get that big one early but so, so to go back, the flipping deal, 90% uh, of those fish were males that were up on bed. And every once in a while, you drop it on a female. You get lucky and drop it on a female. But um, 
and the reason for that, I think, was again, you're, those fish were locked on beds and the male just hangs around the nest a lot more than the female. One thing that I kind of regret um, is not picking up the frog even a little bit more because uh, talking afterwards to uh, one of the dudes that had been around me and caught a couple bigger fish, he said that his bigger bites came on the frog and that makes sense, right? Because that frog, you're fishing it more uh, randomly through the area than right at the base of the bush. So you're going to, you're going to draw up and catch that female that's sitting maybe five feet off the bed and sees a frog come, come walking over its head. Um, whereas if you're flipping, you're just dropping it right on the bed, pull it out yeah, right like on the sniper. next bed, pull it uh-huh. out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and go I, ahead, Rob. I, I, when you, that's funny, it kind of went in my head like, dang, you, you think of, um, a clear water situation and a spawning situation. Like you said, that male's down next to the bush. And a lot of times that female will be off hovering, you know, somewhere else. So that frog totally makes sense. I, that kind of, yeah, cool. It clicks I, I a like, lot easier after yeah. the tournament, right? Of course, it, you know of it. course. But that's, <laughs> I mean, all this, you start watching the stuff on TV and it looks so easy and that's why people uh, get false confidence, but they're watching the guys that are catching them. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're not You're watching talking, the guys that aren't. watching the top five that are dying, yeah. man, for yeah, sure. So. Dude, Mark okay. kept joking at Roosevelt. He's like, I'm going to throw a frog. I was like, shut up, you dumb Alaskan. You don't know what you're talking about. And now you come on, you're like, so the biggest fish in this bed fishing tournament came on a frog. So yeah, like, yeah. I didn't know what I was talking about. And Mark clearly knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Dude, I mean, they'll eat a frog. They'll eat, Makes they'll sense eat a frog what you're right saying. now. Absolutely. It's a great way to get a big one. But but so, you know, in the morning at, where I was, I was trying to get a big one early, I was offshore, man. I, had, I was fishing some uh, offshore hard bottom spots that I had found a prior trip to Rayburn that I hadn't even really pre-fished um, this week, but it was like, hey, yeah, I could see a, a big late fish. winter, early spring uh, pre-spawn fish. Yep, staging out here, um, you know, with a Carolina rig and a crankbait. But uh-huh. um, yeah, I just just one fish off uh, off that deal, and then I ended up going shallow. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good learning tournament. Again, uh, more than anything, it was very frustrating because I don't feel like I sh- I feel like I should have made the cut. Um, I was around enough fish to do so. I just did everything except put them in the boat. And, um, you know, I, I I could sit here and try to rattle off excuses, but sometimes also I I don't want to be the guy to do that when I have a bad tournament. Well, we have a video for that. Yeah, exactly. I always respect (laughs) the guy that has a bad tournament and just says, Hey man, I didn't, I sucked this week. And, um, (laughs) yeah, but it's also good to go back and, and realize what took place and run the tape right yeah for sure yeah learn so learn i, from I definitely if, if i've got a regret it's uh it's it's not it's it's keeping the flipping stick in my hand too much i was fishing the right areas but i should yeah. have been willing to pick up some other other baits but that's what that format alluded to too, man is like you, uh-huh. you just you're afraid to put down the rod that you're getting the most bites with because you just are afraid to fall behind even though the pace was going slow quantity i felt uh-huh. like i couldn't afford to not get that one extra bite, you know? So I watched it. I watched a bunch of the live and it was really interesting to see. And I know you, uh, room with Gerald Spore. Yep. But he went down one stretch of trees with a vibrating jig, caught a bunch of non-scorables, turned back around throwing his, uh, swim jig and caught scorables. And he's, he's like kicking himself for not throwing that swim jig more. Is this the final day? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was really. Did you watch that by chance? Dude, I unfortunately got on a dang plane as it yeah. was all unfolding uh. at the end, and it was a heck of a finish. So I was, it was. Yeah, it sucks that I didn't get to see that part because he did go on a roll towards the end and actually almost won the tournament. He finished yeah. third. But uh, so, do you think it was the bait, or do you think it was just maybe he caught the males and came back through and caught oh. the females on the second that, pass through? You know, that's very likely what you're saying. Um, but in his mind, it was the bait. You know, or I, I shouldn't say that. That's what he was. That's what he was saying. Okay. But what you just said makes a hundred percent. I mean, that's totally sense. makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And who knows? I mean, I'm the guy that didn't make the cut, Gerald. No, but third, that's so. a. I mean, that's a common thing. You'll have guys that go through a cove first thing in the morning and catch a bunch of, you know, one eights and one tens on, you know, just the, the males Fishing. off the beds. Uh-huh. And the guy that got a later number in the tournament follows that guy behind and wins the tournament because he <laughs> catches all the females. Totally. Yeah, batting cleanup. Yeah. But, you know, the guy that got in there first, like, man, I got this. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just the little it. ones biting today, huh? Yeah, you gotta love you gotta love the nuances of fishing, right? Like things like that just make you smile. Yeah. That's the hey, truth. Oh yeah. I, here's a random question, kind of building off what you're saying, Rob. So when you go back through the swim bait, um, I don't know what Gerald was throwing specifically, but like when you when you throw like a weedless swim bait, let's say through stuff like that on a big twist lock hook. What's the ways that you, like, if you're getting short strikes, do you throw a treble behind that still? Or like, how do you, you know, he, what are your he was thoughts throwing on a, that? He was throwing a swim jig. So oh, like it's a, a swim jig. Okay. I'm yeah, sorry. With a trailer. That. Uh-huh. And which was weedless. And like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. He, his reasoning behind it was he can get that swim jig tighter than he could the vibrating jig because the vibrating jig has an open hook. Uh And I mean, his casting was phenomenal. He just skips it right up next to that tree. And he (laughs) felt like he felt like he was getting those bites because of his ability to be accurate with his cast or more accurate or tighter to the cover. So, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. Yeah. A lot of variables there that are so much alchemy (laughs) that are very, minuscule var- variables but definitely making a difference so you saw a couple dudes at the top that that did fish shallow that are a couple some of the best casters on tour and, and you know most of the pretty much all the dudes are really good casters but like like guys like uh cliff crochet who it, you know he itself admittedly is maybe not the the most fully well-rounded fisherman on tour but when but he is maybe one of the top couple casters and, and um because a lake like that's so pressured you got everyone uh, you know running down the outside edge of these outside bushes just flipping to the outside bush or throwing a spinnerbait on the edge throwing a vibrating jig on the edge but you got crochet skipping a frog to the very very back you got gerald another louisiana guy skipping his swim jig into the very 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 back and uh that's where those fish are going to be, man. I mean, they're yeah, not going to sit yeah. out there on the edge and get caught over and over again. They're going to get away from that and they're going to get, they're going to tuck way back in there. So it is such a, so important to be able to, to cast accurately. And then on the complete opposite end of that, you have guys like um, Lucas and I believe, um, I believe Luke Clausen both using a spinning rod a little bit. So straight it, pre-spawn fish there. And, and yeah, uh, Justin Lucas was, I mean, he was, yeah, he was, he was catching fish well he was undermatched completely with his his gear but that's how he was getting those bites and i mean 
you can't argue that you got to get the bite first. Right. And totally. then he ended up losing some absolute monsters because of the tackle. heartbreakers, dude. Just heartbreakers. Oh my God. It was yeah. kind of hard to watch. Like he, <laughs> I mean, Clawson had the fish on to win that tournament on film. And I believe uh, Justin probably did too. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah seriously. A couple Western dudes ended up catching him on a spinning rod and a shocker there, but it, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was Justin. He at one point, was in like 37th place halfway through the, the second day of the elimination about to have a miserable tournament. And he just kept going, going and, and came and found those fish. And uh, dude, I thought he was, I was sure he was going to win. And he had yeah, the bites I thought to so win, too. Yeah. He had the bites to win. It was, yeah. uh, he lost a le- what he says is a legitimate 10 pounder. And then at least a couple more like sixes, right? Yeah. Like some Monsters. toes, man. Yeah. Well, interesting tournament and uh, again yeah. like it's uh it's funny man just like the the two pound thing I, I i was i knew it was rayburn it's one of the best fisheries in the country but when we were there last time i remembered like you'd get on a and we were there when the fish were offshore but you'd get on a school and you might catch 15 or 20 fish out of a school and you might catch a seven but the other 14 were under two <laughs> right and uh it's no it's got some absolute giants in it but it's got so many smaller fish and it was it was hilarious to see just like how hard it actually was sometimes to get a bunch of two pound bites it, it was not not what, easy even on that fishery man what kind of numbers of non-keepers were you catching a day or, or worse were guys catching yeah I, I bet guys averaged maybe catching 25 fish a day i know <laughs> i was in that range of catching 20 plus easily and uh, like that last period you know i had some people i had um climbed up to where I was like a pound out of the cut and I really was was sure I was gonna make it and then I stalled out and sat at the 18 pounds for for the entire final period never put a fish on the scale and everyone's like man what happened and I'm like dude I don't know I, I caught 10 fish that last period yeah. you know and uh it just that's that's how it went you know just all, all males but um uh, I was trying to make sure I always flip back in because I did catch a couple better females uh out of the same bush where I had just bush or cypress stump that I had just caught a, caught a, a smaller fish. You know, you just catch the male first, then go back in and catch the female. But um, one of those tournaments, man. So I've got, got the week off and next week we're going to Raleigh, North Carolina for heavy hitters. So that'll be an awesome, awesome derby. But um, yeah. that's my sob story. And hopefully the next tournament um, I'll have a little bit, a little bit better mood when, when we're talking about it, but it, it was, <laughs> It was still a good learning experience. As, Dude, was as it a channel catfish or the, what was that? What that big bite that ended up being a catfish was it a channel or what was it? I think it? so. Yeah, oh, I okay. think it was, yeah. dude. I, yeah, yeah. It, it slimed up my, it was like a five yeah. pounder. It wasn't like a giant <laughs> fish, but I just didn't, I didn't expect it at all, dude. Over a grass bed, you know, yeah, on a lipless so crankbait. <laughs> dude, did you just get boogers? Was it just like 18 inches of boogers? Uh, definitely, definitely <laughs> some of some slime on the line. It was the whole deal. You know, it was like, uh, this is how... This is what's going to keep happening to me if I stay in this area. I'm going to find more ways to watch them catch them and me not catch anything. So (laughs) it's all good. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Um, So, hey, uh, we've got a few other – one thing I wanted to mention just before I forgot is uh, Mark Jeffries is is mainly back over at uh, Bass Talk Live. So I want to just say that's really good to see. Mark had some crazy, scary health stuff going on. And um, I know we have a bunch of listeners that overlap, so it's good to see him you know, back Matt's kind of running the show right now, but, uh, Mark is back. And I know Rob, you listen to 
Almost I listened to it episode. a lot and yeah, glad to see that he's back. I didn't want to mention anything until we knew exactly what happened and Same it here. was uh, yeah, pretty rough deal for him and um, glad to see he's doing well. Heck yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Mark. Glad you're doing well, man. Um, uh, uh, we did have one uh, listener question this week and it's kind of the topic of, of these last couple of podcasts has been so much on spawning fish and, and bed fishing situations because we're right in the middle of it, right in the heart of it. Um, this question is from, looks like another Josh. Um, yep. I fish a, a lot. What's that? I was just going to say a superior Josh. So please continue. I hope so. Hopefully, hopefully better than this Josh. I fish in some clear water lakes with vegeta- with heavy vegetation. When bed fishing in these situations, how critical is line choice? Floral versus braid. Would it be worth it to try braid before switching to fluoro? Um, so I'm trying to make sure I've got my head wrapped around this. So yeah, it's bed fishing. He's sight fishing. Yeah. Um, yep. And he's around heavy grass. I would say a hundred percent. You know, if 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 you're in a situation where, if if there's any doubt, if you can get a fish out of a out of a hole, you know, and you can see that fish, you've got to start with a bait that you're sure you can get them out. Right? Would you guys mm-hmm. agree? Yeah, definitely. Especially if they're bigger fish and heavy grass. I mean, you have to have the, the tackle to get them out, but the question is, can you get them to bite? And that's just going to be a trial and error type of situation. Um, I would probably tend to lean towards, uh, I mean, let's say they're giant fish in grass holes. Um, and you the fish is definitely going to swim into the grass. So now you have to have the right pound test or tackle to get them out. I'd probably lean towards, um, a braid with a heavy fluorocarbon leader um that you know there you go well yeah maybe best of both worlds hybrid yeah Yeah. that actually makes really good sense rob like a a short 20 even a 25 pound test leader honestly yeah that yeah yeah if they're giant fish i mean uh, and and you know we talked about it on the last podcast how you'll sit down you'll see a big fish on a bed and you um it's the only situation in fishing where you can predict that you're going to catch that fish so you gear up for them you know so mm-hmm. you Take sit this. down and you sit down and put the spinning rod in the lot rod locker and and get out the <laughs> flipping stick with 20 pound and a big hook and you know you you get that fish in the boat because of that um similar situation but i think what he's asking is is can you get away with the braid in the clearer water and you know the only thing that's going to tell you that is the fish are going to tell you that and it's just it's worth a try for sure so, yeah right. I agree. Yeah. It's, a bed fish is not like another type of uh, fish that you see where you only get one chance at it, right? Like so often you see a cruising fish, you get one chance. And then once they've seen your, seen your tricks, it's, it's over. Right. But yeah. a bed fish is, uh, they're not like that, man. It's not like you only get one shot. I will say spotted bass, man. They're, they're kind of the opposite. That's not what we're talking about. Spotted bass, the longer you fish for them, the more turned off they get on you on beds, which is very weird. But that is um, weird. yeah, largemouth. I think uh, I know uh, it's, that's not the, not the case. So yeah, you may as well start heavy and go lighter and lighter, and then eventually we've all been to that point where it's like, hey, I'm not going to catch them on anything else. I'll try. I'll do anything to get a bite now, and whatever happens, happens. If I get them out, great. If I don't, then uh, then whatever. But kind of a um, scenario but, like Justin Lucas had going. I mean, he's <laughs> he threw what he threw to get the bites, and you're not going to land. You just them hope all. it works out. Yeah. yeah. So, and it worked out in a top five for him, but it not a win because of the fact that he was unable to land him, but whatever. No doubt. A lot of guys that take that top five over, not 
getting those bites. So. Yeah. 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 So. Beat's not making the cut. That's for yeah. sure, man. Yeah. So. Well, Hey, uh, okay. So one other thing that the, the guys and I, uh, Nick and Rob and I have been talking about this morning. Um, it's a, it's a website that I kind of rediscovered. It's been reinvigorated a little bit called Bass Fishing Archives. And uh, it's a buddy of mine, Terry Battisti, started this thing in like 2012. And Terry's a, he's a really smart guy. He's a writer. And um, he is very into like the history of bass fishing, all, all history of bass fishing, primarily tournament bass fishing, but just bass fishing history, history in general. And he's got this website completely devoted to bass fishing history. And, and of course, being being Western anglers like we are, uh, the U.S. Open and Lake Mead, it, it's got a special place in our heart. So he's got an article that, um, a three-part article, and it looks like it's just, it, it, it's from this spring. He wrote it, posted it this spring, did interviews. And it's the title of this is the U.S. Open 1981, an event that changed bass fishing. And it really did, man. I know you guys read the article. Uh, what were some of the things that struck you most, uh, especially, and we'll go through this kind of sequentially, but like in, in part one where he's talking about how he gathered the field, what the entry fee was, what the payout <laughs> was. Uh, what did you guys notice about that, that first part of the article? Well, it's so Rich Schultz is the guy that did that. Right. And he is, he started Wild West Bass team tournaments here in Arizona. Um, God, I want to say that was in the mid-90s. And he's just a go-getter. He also did the big bass days at Lake Pleasant. So everything he's done is just – Successful. <laughs> yeah, but just like like crazy numbers. Like he'll just pull right. stuff and he'll do – but but what he'll do is he'll put a bunch on the plate, Right. Like he's dropping, he's putting 50 grand out there and all of a sudden he's got, that's all how you get people. attention, dude. I mean, there's no exactly. other way to get attention than just this money. Right. That's yeah. how you do it. Yeah. I guess, I guess I'm surprised that he hasn't done it again. Like, like he, I mean, he was giving away boats in the mid nineties in team tournaments with 150, we'd get that's 100 crazy. to 150 boats in these team tournaments with a $200 entry and he's giving away a boat. So think about there's guys now, putting up 350 bucks to fish for 1500 bucks against 40 boats, you know? What I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's only gone downhill, but at the but, time when, when this first U S open happened, that was the highest payout. We should mention it was the highest payout in bass fishing yeah. history. It was 50 grand for first, uh, 180 grand total in the, in the and purse. second was like 20 or 30. If I remember yeah, correctly, yeah, he definitely changed the face of, of bass fishing when it came to payouts. And I mean, it took, because at that time wasn't the classic like forty thousand for first. I think um, it was exactly what it said. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's kind of cool because uh, an Arizona guy he was he lived in California at the time, but uh, Greg Hines ends up winning that tournament. And I mean, I used to work at the boat dealership that he hung out at all the time back in like '89. I started washing boats there. <laughs> Greg was like the local pro, and he would hang out there and um you know it, was he so down to at, earth or did he have a big sense of self no he's a good dude he's nice. he's an outdoorsman he's a the guy loves to hunt he loves to fish he's just he's but he pretty much made a career off of this one tournament 
That was and, a springboard, right? Yeah. Him and uh, Don Doty pre-fished for like three months prior. And <laughs> I don't know. I just get such a kick out of that article. I think it's fantastic because I'm old enough to recognize a huge portion of the roster. You look That's, at those I, names. I wondered that because I, I know, like, like, you know, maybe, maybe 10 to 20 percent of them. But I yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of huge them. names on there, like, you know, like household bass fishing names. But there's also a bunch of names on there that that I just guys that I've fished with guys that, I mean, it I don't know, sticks. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool just uh, to see that. So dude, all I can envision in 1981 is like 150 dudes wearing like stifling blue denim jeans and like probably some cowboy boots and like hot, hot clothing in the 125 degree heat. Like, no, they- they all had the OP shorts, the, Dude, the, grandpa, shorts. They all, the grandpa, grandpa's trout shorts. <laughs> Some trouser trout shorts. The shorts were unbelievable. If you guys go to the article on BassFishingArchives.com, you can see the pictures of the shorts. And they actually make a mention that a dude, one of the dudes, because so this event was held in August. And uh, one of the dudes had gotten a sunburn that was so bad he had to yeah. withdraw from the tournament. <laughs> they were talking about the health that, issues. But it's really funny. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious, dude. A guy actually had a sunburn that was so bad he had to withdraw. Josh, how about the marketing guy for that? <clears throat> Excuse me. The marketing guy. Did you see who that was? Tom Styles. Tom Styles. Yes, from so All-Star Tom, Team Tournaments. Yeah, so we all know him really well. From He had a huge uh, team circuit, actually pro-am circuit in this area for – Probably from late '80s all the way, or maybe '90s. I don't know when it started. Probably the late 2000 '80s. Had to be late. Yeah. 2013. Yeah, for many many years. So. Yeah, yeah. It was an iconic and, in the Southwest, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but like, so, so um, one of the things to prepare, like this was such a big deal that Stren had, you know, all the all the big names were sponsored by Stren, right? So they did like basically had a training event where they flew out their big name guys. And like, I, I, maybe not all these dudes were strand dudes, but like Roland Martin, Bobby Murray, Forrest Wood, Basil Bacon. <laughs> what a name, Basil, Basil Bacon. Basil Bacon. <laughs> yeah, what a name. He's also a chef. Rick Clun, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, he should be, man. He should be. Uh, but so, so uh, Strand had held an event in May on Lake Mojave and flew all these guys out and basically just to, to get them to meet some of the Western fishermen, learn some, some stuff about Western fishermen, get used to the heat and see the water. Like, can it's you imagine not- being a fisherman? Like, like Roland Martin's from Clewiston, Florida. Okay. Imagine being from Clewiston, Florida and, and not being able with no internet and stuff. And then just showing up and fishing a tournament on mead. That's unbelievable. Right. I guess he had probably been there. They had had a classic there that he might've been a part of. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think a bunch of those guys had probably been there for that classic. What year was that classic? That was right in that Maybe same... 72 or something. Maybe. It, yeah. We should know that better than before we do, that. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, pretty crazy though. Yeah, and then gnarly. to give a spoiler, obviously, then once a Western dude won it, he talked about how that finally gave him credit in the eyes of like the rest of the country for the West actually being, you know, a bass fishing destination. So as a West Coast fisherman, it kind of makes you feel good to be like, yeah, validation. Yeah. Years ago. yeah. But then I, I don't think validation really happened to the Western fishermen until Josh Bertrand. 
Yes. <laughs> no, but like when the <laughs> when the Bassmaster Opens came out here and that crop of guys that are just absolutely dominating the top level of fishing nowadays, um, that's Eat in Aaron. my opinion. What's that, Josh? Yes, the guys like Skeet and Skeet, Aaron, Brett, Aaron, Ayler. I know yeah. I'm missing some Rojas. Yeah, Murray, obviously Murray. Rojas. Yep. Um, just that whole crop of guys. I know I'm missing a couple more, but yeah, I that, got you really open the eyes to the Eastern fishermen. How, I mean, look at all the techniques that are used out East that guys would laugh at before, you know, drop shot is probably one of the biggest. So flipping came from out West, which still blows my mind. I mean, Gary Klein, uh, D Thomas obviously was the original, but Gary Klein, it, you know, was really probably the first absolute like hammer, hammer consistent, like guys had gone back East and, and won tournaments, but Klein had to have been one of the first ones to really. Klein and Glebe probably a little bit yep. before Klein, but yep. 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 Um, and all yep. those guys were in that first U.S. Open. I mean, it's incredible just to see the names there. So that's, it is uh, yeah. Props to uh, your, what's Harry. the gentleman's? Terry Batista. Yeah. yeah. And he's got all kinds of stuff on this website, guys. He's got. It's a um, fun place to check out. He's got some old school, like convert like ads from old magazines and stuff like uh it's it's an inter- we're gonna have some more fun with this website i just kind of uh was looking for something to talk about this morning and, and that had uh, popped up into my feed thankfully but um yeah so check check that website out if you've got some time and the last thing that i thought was interesting was like in 1981 just like the techniques were much more limited. There was, there was a lot less as far as gear and tackle and stuff like that goes. And like the technique that uh, they, they talk about in the last part of the article, the approach that Heinz took and he literally did. He practiced for two months. He had a, the dude that he had gone with him was uh, the guy, Don Doty, which did, did he end up finishing second Rob? He did. He did. So yes. They practiced together for two months and uh, things are just so different now, you know, you just don't see, the, see this type of stuff, but they practiced together for two months. It sounded like that Doty guy was kind of paying Heinz to do the yeah, bulk he had a of concrete it. business or something. So, uh-huh. So yeah, he was paying him to do the bulk of it and uh, they pre-fished the entire lake. It's a massive lake, right? So they literally <laughs> pre-fished the entire lake, found so much water that uh, when official practice came around and all the dudes came in from around the country their only job was to drive around the lake and look for other guys and and purposely not target the areas areas. these guys were in because they didn't want to deal with the pressure so they had found what they thought was every school of fish or every group every area that had numbers of fish Uh yeah and uh and, and they just fished that water they didn't have boats and um you know he said he threw a walking bait the spook and uh, it was still at that point in time, no one really knew that you could throw a spook all day. You know, it was like yeah. just an early morning topwater deal or late in the evening. But he said he had gone back east at, uh, to Bull Shoals and found in the clear water that he could throw it all day and actually call fish up from deep water. And uh, it's just funny now, like that's like the most common way to, to go fish at Lake Mead, right? Is to you know, yeah. in yep. the fall and summer and you throw a walking bait all day long and call the fish up out of the deep grass beds and stuff like that. And this was maybe not the first time it was done, but it was the first time it, it had had some noise God, notoriety. Absolutely. The yeah, thing that the thing that surprises me the most is the 
we talk about the lack of equipment, lack of tackle and stuff, but think about the boats. I mean, yeah. um, not only the gas capacity, but just the size <laughs> of the boats and then the trolling motors. I mean, I think they the had trolling 12, motors looked laughable, dude. 12 I thought that was what trolling the, motors. <laughs> I thought it was. And then the other pro, because it's pro on pro, right? Yep, so yes. when you were in the back of the boat, you had to use an oar to position the boat, right? And then you reversed. <laughs> <laughs> Darn near. I mean, pretty incredible. What size motors motor. do you think they had, dude? 115s? Probably, probably one. I bet you a 150 was probably like equivalent a to hot like a hot rod. Two, yeah, like a 250 nowadays. But I think there were probably a lot of, you know, yeah. Breakdowns well, just, had to have been so common, right? I mean, oh yeah, breakdowns and swamped boats and dead batteries. Well, and, and then I would, I mean, a Google search would reveal, but I would bet in 1981, Lake Mead had way more water than it does in 2021. Oh, it was you an know, absolute that was like monster full pool or yep. within 10 feet. Because I just finished reading that book about the uh, the historic um, 1983. Uh, run off through the Grand Canyon. What an amazing book. Dude, the 80s, people were just badasses in the 80s, man. They just figured it out. They didn't have technology or anything. They were just winging it and hoping for the best. And so in 83 is when the dam at Lake Powell was nearly inundated and washed out. And in that story, dude, at the height of it, they were releasing 70,000 to 100,000 cubic feet per second, which is mind-blowingly huge amounts of water through the canyon to save the dam at Man. lake powell and if i'm not mistaken dude i think that book said something like when that final surge was done coming from powell that mead rose like maybe 100 feet or like 50 feet and we're talking a lake that's like bigger than states you know yeah. what i'm saying like yeah. this is like mind-numbingly huge oh that's so reservoir. much water it's incredible yeah <laughs> so those dudes cruising around in their little you know by today's standards small boats and just getting it done those, those are some badass dudes man they're they're tough hombres yeah, yeah they would... it, it's going to be interesting in what 30 plus 40 years from now they won't they say talk. that about us I don't think they will. <laughs> They're all fat, <laughs> lazy. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what they think about cancel culture and people's feelings nowadays, man. <laughs> they might tell us. We should get one of those guests on. Rob said he had a good one lined up for us who's not very political and would take it real easy on us. Yeah, so we, we do need it. It would be great. You know who'd be awesome? And I, I know I can get him on is Gary Klein. He's got stories oh, for days, dude. man. Absolute stories for days. And, yeah. Um, Let's yeah, do a I need to talk to you this theme week. on the podcast. Let's do let's bring it back, dude. We've got an old Fred school Ward would be a there. good one. He would do it. Let's get them Fred. all, dude. I mean, hey, yeah. it would be so much fun. Klein's I, got a story about Lake Powell, and uh, I'll get him on and tell it himself. And stop me if I've already told this on here, guys. But he, the first Bassmaster tournament that Klein ever won at Lake Powell, he was just a young kid, and D. Thomas was like his mentor. And uh, talking about the boats and stuff, like yeah. they were. They were running to the San Juan River, which is so far <laughs> from Waweep. I think they would yeah, take off at Waweep. Yeah. How far is that from Waweep, Rob? Because you've done when, it a bunch of times. When I fished there, um, is it a hundred miles? No, it's. I think it was an hour and forty-five minutes full throttle. Okay. Hundred plus. Is 120 it? Hundred twenty miles. Maybe Dude, I don't know. 
it's something like that. You know, I know we got some listeners up in that in that takes range. like ten hours like to drive around. I've, I've done <laughs> in it. A car. I've done it probably twenty five times, and I don't know why I can't think of how far it is, but it's a long ways. Well, dude, so enough. you're doing it in a, a modern day bass boat with a two twenty five yeah. or a two fifty. Yeah. Okay, so when Gary had won this tournament, he was doing it with. Uh, it was literally a one fifteen. Yeah. Um, and he like obviously he was they were stashed they had gas cans in the boat and they also had gas cans stashed on the bank uh coming strategically so that they uh uh so just this and he tells me like he told me that uh, his motor started to act up like on the second day of the tournament it starts to act up as he's on his way up so he um that'll end nothing to do but keep going (laughs) right so he keeps going he gets there, catches his fish, miraculously it fires up, and he's acting up the whole way back. It completely dies like a mile out in front of the ramp. He gets uh, brings brings his fish in or whatever, gets in on time. But uh, I'll never forget, D was like uh, – was Gary's guy. It was his mentor. And he's like, D had a guy that owed him a favor, and uh, he was still <laughs> on the boat. And he's went up to the guy and said, I'm cashing in my favor. Give Gary your boat for tomorrow. And, uh, <laughs> the dude had to give up his boat and gave Gary his boat. And he went up there and, won, and did the, the, the cool. marathon again and won the tournament. But uh, yeah. obviously way, way cooler and in much more detail when he tells it. But I would love to hear about some of uh, yeah. some yeah. of his original stories, man. And it's cool. Like I, and maybe it's because of our age, right? So we look back on those times and, it seems maybe more mystical than it was to people who were actually like just doing the thing. There's actually a chapter in that book I referenced called doing the thing. And it was just that, right? Like, you know, obviously these are sportsmen, these are anglers and that book, it's the story of the people who set the record for fastest trip through the grand Canyon um, in a boat. But it's like, you know, you just, these are just enthusiasts. These are guys who are crazy, you know, passionate about it, doing the thing, right? Like, a lot of things could go wrong if you think of Gary's story that could, you know, end real negatively for him. That's about as uninhabited and desolate of a part of Lake Powell. You know what I mean? Like and then oh, in the dude, 80s yeah. to boot, like there wasn't even like, you know, hordes of houseboaters and stuff like there. So, I mean, like, those are just like, you're just doing the thing, right? Like guys would know, just, like, just probably just not show up to weigh in. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, right. You know what I mean? Like they never came back. Where are they? God I know. I told like, I know I told the story before, but when we fished at Powell, the first day, people were so, they, they didn't understand that they were going to run out of gas, but the the first day of the tournament at the weigh-in, you looked out across the basin, there's boats floating everywhere. Because <laughs> they just, they'd hop in someone else's boat just to get their fish weighed in. Ghost thank, boats, yeah. Thank goodness it was completely like glass calm, which doesn't happen very Seriously. often. Oh, dude, and, that would have been yeah. a wrecking yard. <laughs> yeah, so... But I wonder when the rule came in, and I'm sure it had a lot to do with like Gary at Powell with carrying the gas cans and boats because unsafe, dude. Right? I mean, yeah, is it, we used is to do it a lot in team tournaments, and um, people don't understand. You hop in these high end bass boats nowadays that are all clean and don't smell of gas and oil have fuel lines that are like modern and safe yeah, just everything's yeah it's not a we, bomb <laughs> you'd fish in a boat that smelled like gasoline all day long you know just stinks so oh, that was the, that's the way boats smelled back in the day dude yeah yeah seriously that's a especially way to bring that carrying, back. 
carrying gas cans in the back and <laughs> seriously gas all over your hands so much for getting gas on your hands and hey can you help me light up this red man i think red man was chew help me light up this marlboro doing the thing man that's just all it is you're just doing the thing so dude in 50 years uh our grandkids are going to be like you used to go fishing without a drone yeah, right. how would you catch fish without a drone you were at the lake you weren't catching the fish from your garage with a drone yeah, you, you actually, actually went to the lake you actually have like virtual in your fishing boat. better <laughs> exactly here hold on let me just pop this lens back on <laughs> dude it'll hopefully will be badasses too because you know like you then you hear about people that are from like the 1800s like the first dude that actually went from wyoming to Lake Powell, you know, Las Vegas on the Colorado River was like a Civil War veteran who got his hand blown up in battle and they just used a saw to cut it off and throw it in a pile of limbs from the day's battles and then patched him up and within a week and a half later, he's out there fighting again. That's the dude that then came to Wyoming to think, I'm just going to float down this river and see what happens. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around the ballsiness and bravery or something like that. So hopefully in 100 years, they'll talk about us like that and we'll it won't be deserved but we can at least live on i hope so man yeah i hope so um well hey uh, i think we're we're a little bit over an hour and uh i think everyone's going to be waking up here in our household so uh (laughs) as always uh appreciate you guys all tuning in do you guys have any last words before we let everyone go rob has something deep and profound i can see it coming from that white beard of his Nope. I, uh, I'm just looking forward to a good week, man. I want to get out in warm weather. I hope everyone else gets out and catches some fish and, uh, send us pictures and ask us questions. Yep. Yep. Keep the feedback coming guys. As always, thanks for tuning in and, uh, Hey, we will, uh, we will be back at you next week. Have a good one guys.